Hello, film lovers. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones and whap out some popcorn. It is time for the Films I Love Most podcast. Welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast with me, Keith, your host. Welcome back. And today, of course, as promised, is the Fright Fest special. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the scariest movies that I have seen this year at Fright Fest. The best and the worst. And when I say Fright Fest, I do obviously not mean the Brexit situation. I'm talking about the film festival, which is held yearly at Cineworld Leicester Square and the Prince Charles Cinema. So I've seen a lot of amazing, amazing things um, at Fright Fest, and I'm really looking forward to sharing them with you. I'm sitting here in, you know, the dungeon with a packet of bourbons and a cup of tea. So I'm ready. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast, Fright First Special. Hello, I've just finished a Bourbon. I'm about to take a sip of a nice milky cup of tea as we settle into movie news. So a lot of it has been going on recently with movie news obviously there's talk about spider-man saying bye-bye to the marvel universe and now is completely owned again by sony which has upset a lot of fans but it being the fright fest special we're not going to talk about that we're going to talk about some horror news yes news from the world of horror that has got me excited now listen We will be reviewing It Chapter 2 later on. But Bill Starsgard, who plays Pennywise the Clown, has been talking about It Chapter 3. Let me take a sip of this tea and I will tell you more. Oh, the joys of radio. So, yes, Bill Starsgard is up for playing Pennywise the Clown again in Chapter 3. But he has an idea. And his idea is to do a prequel. Now, we'll go more into it when we talk about chapter two. But there is a lot of origin slash backstory given to the evil entity, which becomes it or Pennywise. And the story is explored, but not fully enough to give you a full picture of what is going on. So would a prequel be a good idea? Personally, for me, I think that I would rather just go back and read the book, Stephen King's original novel, because there is a lot more world building and storytelling and origin story for Pennywise character in the book. But would I be averse to it? Would I be like, no, no, I wouldn't be. I think it would be quite interesting. Yes. So it's a possibility that it chapter three could be on our screens within the next few years. Exciting. Now, let's talk about Halloween Kills. Yep, it's been announced quite recently that last year's Halloween movie is getting two. That is two sequels. So the first one is called Halloween Kills, which is coming out in 2020. And the second one is called Halloween Ends, which is coming out in 2021. Both starring Jamie Lee Curtis, unless that's what we've been told... Um, obviously we can't trust that because you never know what might happen in a Halloween movie. But the news is, is that Kylie Richards, who played Lindsay Wallace in the original Halloween movie, is back. Yes, now if you don't know 
who Lindsay Wallace is. She is the little girl that Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, was babysitting in the first Halloween movie. So she is back. Also back is Tommy Doyle, the little boy that Jamie Lee Curtis was looking after in the original Halloween movie. And he's going to be played by Anthony Michael Hall. Now, this is quite interesting, bringing back two quite integral characters to the first movie, because I'm very, very curious about how they're going to fit in with the plot. And obviously with Halloween ends, you know, it's definitely sort of conjures up, you know, the fact that maybe this could be the last Halloween movie. Now we know, we know never, ever to say that because, you know, it's not the end. In five years time, we'll get another reboot. Michael Myers will be stalking the streets once more, I have no doubt. But in the meantime, very excited for these new Halloween films. I'm a big Halloween film fanatic. One of the very, very first Halloween movies I was allowed to watch was Halloween H2O. And I absolutely loved it. And you might also, you might say that they are my childhood movies, which is quite weird. You know, a lot of people in like sort of those development years are watching things like The Labyrinth or you know, animated Disney movies. I was watching Halloween, Quadrophenia and Beetlejuice, which is amazing. What a mix. Yes. So that is all your movie news for this week. I've got a letter here from one of our listeners. Dear Keith, I've just returned from three days at Fright Fest, 18 movies later, and I'm overjoyed with the standard and variety of movies I saw. The event went so well and it is so well organised and I can't wait for Fright Fest 2020. All the best, Mark from Croydon. Well, Mark, thank you very much for your letter. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, I don't know, we may have seen each other. We might have been in the same screening. But um, yeah, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, tickets for Fright Fest 2020 will be released in July 2020. So if you want to come along to the next Fright Fest, then don't forget to set your timers. Welcome back to True Crime here on True Crime, where we interview the most prolific serial killers. This week, we're going to be interviewing the Haddonfield killer, Michael Myers. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the studio. So tell me, why do you murder people in the most hideous, hideous ways with a kitchen knife? That is all we've got time for here on True Crime, on True Crime. Take care. See you next week. Be safe. Don't get frightmares. I was going to try and do my best Vincent Price impression, but I don't think I can get my voice low enough. But let me try. <clears throat> Hello, boys and girls. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I will begin. It's movie reviews. Hello. That was a really, really bad impression. I'm so sorry. I actually have naturally quite a high register. So for even get to get that low is quite difficult. So movie reviews. Fright Fest was such a treat. I had such a good time. It's such a well-organised event and you get to see so many great movies. You get to talk to so many inspirational directors, directors that are pushing the boundaries, that love the genre and are really, really, really doing well. And I saw some amazing films, but I've cherry-picked my favourite films because I didn't want to overload your brains especially I'm very very well aware that some of you are not horror fans so therefore are probably either not listening to this episode which you can't hear me anyway or you are listening but <clears throat> are not necessarily gonna you know act on this these reviews that I give but I'm gonna give them anyway because I think it's important 
um, to the people that do love horror movies out there that they get a taste of some absolutely amazing treats that are coming your way very, very soon. So let's start off with one of my favourite movies of the festival, um, Daniel Isn't Real. Now, Daniel Isn't Real is a very, very strange but interesting movie. If any of you have seen Mandy, which came out last year with Nicolas Cage, yeah, don't let that put you off. It is an incredible film. Um, We'll know that the unique visual style of that film was one of its main attractions. Now, Daniel Isn't Real uses the same production company. So I think it's Spectre Vision, I think they call it, which is really, really funny. Um, Yes, they use these really intense sort of bright reds and blues and greens. It's almost illuminous. And they use these to great effect, especially in the opening sequence, which looks like you're hurtling through some sort of black hole, which um, is quite prominent to the plot. Now, it's pretty much about a troubled college freshman who um, is suffering from a family trauma and during this time he invents a imaginary friend to help him cope with the strains that are put upon him by this family occurrence. Um, His friend is called Daniel and Daniel is not the nicest um, boy you could have wished for to be friends with your son which the mother, um, which his mother, Luke's mother, finds out because um, Luke actually tries to poison her on Daniel's instruction, which is opens the film and you realise how dangerous this force behind Daniel is. Now, it's never actually sort of specified whether Daniel is a figment of... Luke's imagination, if it's a mental illness, uh, primary schizophrenia, that's a possibility that could be the main cause for Daniel. Um, I mean, at the end of the film, they very strongly lean towards the fact that it's a possession, that it's an evil being, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, Now, the cast is incredible. Um, Andrew Bridges and um, the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I found really, really interesting. Uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger is in the movie. And they are fantastic. I think it if it wasn't for their performances, I don't think I would have enjoyed the film as much. But really, honestly, these um, this cast really heightened this movie and make it what it is. It's very visceral. Some bits are hard to watch. Um, it's violent, it's very, very scary at certain points, it's beautiful to look at, and it's it's like something you'll never see again, because its visual style and storyline are very unique to the movie, and it's not a film that you come across very often, which is why I absolutely loved it. Now, it's getting distributed, and I think slightly funded by Arrow Video, which is great because it means that it's going to be very, very wildly, um, widely, wildly, yes, very wildly distributed. It's going to be very, it will be wildly distributed, but it'll be widely distributed also. Sorry, I was just staring at the movie poster because um, I've got it up on my iPad and it's such a beautiful uh, representation of the film. I actually managed to grab a poster from Fright Fest and I've got it up on my bedroom wall because I think it's just an absolute stunning image. Um, but it'll be mostly distributed um, and I, you'll get to see it. You'll be able to go and buy it in your local um, store, online. Um, distri- because of the distribution from Arrow means that a lot of people are going to get to see it. And that's great because it's a film that deserves to be watched. I'm giving Daniel Isn't Real 9 out of 10. And I'm only giving it 9 because I didn't see quite a few bits of it because I was hiding behind a pillow. True story. So, yes, that's Daniel Isn't Real. Next film I'm going to be talking about is Eat Brains Love. Now, Eat Brains Love is um, a comedy zombie film which... 
yeah, I mean, we've had these before with things like Zombie Land and Shaun of the Dead. But this f film is actually uh, based on a series of novels, young adult novels. And it's been bought by Rodman, Rodman Fender, who you might remember did Idle Hands back in the day. But he's brought the book to life in this new movie. Um, now, I didn't particularly enjoy this film. Which is why I'm talking about it, because I don't think it's um, fair if I just tell you about the films that I thoroughly enjoyed. There has to be some sort of balance here. So Eat Brains Love, I say, was probably my least favourite film at the festival. And here's why. I don't understand who the audience is supposed to be. Who is it aimed at? Is it aimed at the zombie-loving, sort of R-rated horror fan lover because if it is okay it's fine it's grotesque enough it's very violent there's a lot of gore in it um but the storyline is a little bit sort of teenagery which is obviously because it comes from a young adult novel but then if you are aiming it at the fans of the novel then you've made it way way too gruesome I would not allow anybody under the age of 18 to watch this movie. It is very, very violent. And there's some moments of gore, which even I couldn't watch. Um, and I've seen a lot of horror movies in my time. It turned my stomach. And I think that when this film becomes wild, wildly available, what is wrong with me? Widely available. I think that it's going to suffer because I don't think it's going to find its audience very well. Now, I know that the book series is popular and there are more um, books in the series, but I did feel that this was almost a pilot episode for a TV show, possibly. And if that's so, then it's definitely in the wrong medium. It should be on Amazon Prime or Netflix. I think it would actually do quite well on there if it toned itself down a little bit. But if you like a complete utter gore fest... Eat Brains Love is for you with a lot of um, comedy that for me missed its mark. But because I think I was watching the film blatantly confused through the whole movie that I wasn't really trying to absorb much of the humour of it. But if you like comedy and gore, then this is going to be for you. But for me, unfortunately, I'm giving it five out of ten because um, I think it's going to suffer... And it suffered for me because I was just watching it going, I don't think I am the target audience for this. And I don't think many people are going to think they are either. So, yeah, eat brains love. Avoid, if possible, just like you would any zombie. Next up is Master of Dark Shadows. Now, this is going to tie a little bit in with something that I was going to put in movie news. But um, Master of Dark Shadows is a documentary about Dan Curtis, the creator and director of Dark Shadows, which was a 1960s soap opera which ran into the early 70s. Uh, the soap opera itself was meant to be like any soap opera, dealing with the family issues occurring of the, um, the Collins family who live in Collinsport. Um, after 12 weeks, the um, ratings were low and the opinion of the show was not great. So Dan Curtis thought to himself, well, if it's going to get cancelled, let's go for it. Let's bring in ghosts, vampires and werewolves and lots of other monsters from gothic mythology. And he did. And the show became a massive success because of it. Um, the biggest success of the show is probably Jonathan Freed who plays Barnabas Collins, a vampire. Um, he became one of the most iconic vampires in America around that time. And Master of Dark Shadows is a fantastic documentary about how Dark Shadows came about. Um, the Sort of the methods of the man behind the madness, Dan Curtis himself, because he is definitely a character from what people say about him a professional um irritable knows exactly what he wants driven 
but with a twinkle in his eye, which um, a lot of people obviously hold a lot of affection towards him, as you can tell from the interviewees of the movie. Uh, it also goes on to talk about his career after. He made two Dark Shadows movies and also made some um, horror movies and some absolute epic TV uh, war dramas, which were Emmy nominated. So he had a very wide and interesting career and I really did enjoy the documentary. I thought it was well put together. There was a Q&A with the documentary maker afterwards who I got to do a Q&A with, like to talk to. And it was really interesting um, to talk to him. And he didn't have any sort of knowledge of Dark Shadows as a series because the series wasn't shown widely enough in the UK for people to have a full knowledge of it. But... Um, yeah, it was really, really interesting. And there were some things that I didn't even realise um, about Dark Shadows, even though I am a huge Dark Shadows fan, thanks to the Big Finish audio adventures that they do of Dark Shadows. But um, yeah, and this leads me in to some news that was released today of a Dark Shadows revival in development at the CW. So um, CW has given um, a pilot script order for Dark Shadows Reincarnation, which is going to be a one-hour gothic drama based on the original Dark Shadows series by Dan Curtis. So that's interesting. Dark Shadows is coming back, and hopefully it might find an audience and people will go back and watch the original because it definitely deserves a rewatch because it's interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong, the special effects, the acting is are as ropey as anything, but the the way that they tell a narrative is really interesting if you think there's over 1200 episodes that they made and they and it went out live i mean it was a fantastic achievement and shaped a lot of american tv shows that we see today so looking forward to the dark shadows revival yes so what up next is actually my favorite film that i saw at the festival Okay, but we do still have one more film to review after this. And this is Spiral. Now, Spiral is about um, a gay couple and um, one of the men's daughters moving to a town in the United States to, to get away from the, the hustle and bustle of the big cities. When they move to this town, one of the men, played by Jeffrey Boyer Chapman discovers that the neighbours are not what they seem. Now, you might think that this has been done before. Family move to a small town and discover that the residents of this town are a little bit odd. But I tell you, you've not seen it like this before because it's set in 1995, just before people started to change their opinions on LGBT couples. And this is a gay couple taking centre stage in a horror movie, which I have not seen, I don't think, ever. I think that gay people in horror movies have always been seen as sort of caricatures, um, stereotypes. You know, the camp one that usually dies quite early on in the movie. Um, but these are two strong, believable characters leading a horror movie about something that is actually very, very prominent. Now, a lot of people have likened this movie to Get Out because there is a very similar sort of vibe running through the film that this is Get Out for the LGBT community. I would somewhat agree with that statement, but I actually preferred this film to Get Out. I thought it had so many more layers. It was so interesting. And even though it is a cult movie, now, when I say cult movie, I don't mean like it's going to be a cult movie. It's a movie about a cult. And um, the way that it slowly unpeels its layers is very, very clever, very um, omnipresent, so, so to speak. And I really enjoyed the ending, you know, like when you have a mystery like this built up so cleverly, it's often that it falls flat on its face because the ending's not very good. But the thing I loved most about this film was the ending. I thought that the ending really tied up everything that I wanted it to and left things open to interpretation, which every great film should. Every film shouldn't be completely wrapped up with a bow. 
there should be a little bit of the bow loose so that people can give their own interpretations, which I think is amazing. And I really, really, really love this film. Now, some people might say that I loved it because I am a gay man and therefore I love gay representation in movies. Um, Yeah. And what's your problem? Get over it. It's true. I loved it because it showed a real gay couple going through real everyday issues that just happen to be the targets of a mad religious cult. I think it's clever and I don't think we've seen anything like it and I can't wait, can't wait for people to imitate it because um, it's stories like this that open and broaden minds and deal with homophobia and bigoted views. So bring it on. Yes, Um, love that film. And coming up next is... Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I didn't see this at Fright Fest, actually. I saw it the day before um, at the cinema because I wanted to see it um, quite soon because I couldn't get a ticket for it at Fright Fest. So this film is based on a book, again, a young adult book, and is produced and co-written by Guillaume de Toro, who we all know is an absolute genius, um, behind the the genius behind Pan's Labyrinth, and a film that we spoke about quite recently, actually, The Devil's Backbone. So yes, it's an interesting film. If anyone of a certain age can remember a series called Goosebumps, or Are You Afraid of the Dark, which was on Nickelodeon, I can remember it very well. I would say this is pretty much like those stories pieced together to make a sort of anthology film, although it's the same characters throughout. It's a good mix of scares. It's, it is scary. There's some quite um, alarming creations in the movie, which I absolutely adore. As anyone will know, I am a huge fan of physical effects. Um, I found that there was more physical effects in this movie than CGI which is a massive plus point for me but again like with um, you know adaptions from works that are for younger people I think it's going to struggle to find its audience because it's not scary enough for those hardcore adult horror films like that people watch and the horror fans, but then again, it's too scary for the young people that read the books. So it's got ex- um, eat brains love, and um, I, or suffers from the same affliction that it just. I don't think it's going to find its audience, and if it does find an audience, they're either going to find it too scary or not scary enough, and that's going to be a huge issue for it. Um, I didn't give a a. Um, rating for Spiral, by the way, it's obviously 10 out of 10, um, with Scary Stories to Turn in the Dark, I'm going to have to give it 7.5 out of 10, which isn't bad because it is a really, really strong movie, but I don't think it's going to make any money because I think it's going to completely bypass its audience, which is sad because it shouldn't be doing that, but unfortunately... You know, someone didn't in the marketing department didn't think about that, did they? So here we go. Last movie. Of course, it's It Chapter 2. Now, I saw this last night because it wasn't part of Film um, Fright Fest, but um, it's come out a couple of weeks later. Here's a clip. You need to come home. Wow, you two look amazing. What happened to me? I rewatched chapter one the night before just to, to refresh my memory. And obviously I've read the book um, in the past. It was part of my reading resolution 
which I do every year, instead of making a resolution to lose weight or cut down on bourbons, which is, you know, as fans of this podcast will know, that's never going to happen. I have a reading resolution where I choose a book that I would think that I would struggle with or that I want to read, but it's too much of a mission and I read it. And it was from a couple of years ago. Uh, and I loved it and I thoroughly enjoyed the book and there's so much in there. I love the mythology. I love the 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 scale of it, um, the characters, the um, sort of coming of age story, which is very reminiscent in Stephen King's works like Stand By Me, which is also one of my favourite films of all time. <clears throat> so watching the first one, it's it. It works. The first film, chapter one, is a good, solid representation of the chapter one of the book. It tells the story of the Losers Club very well. There's some scary moments in it. Pennywise is expertly played by Bill Stasgard, who I think is um, incredible. Incredible. He's, his performance as Pennywise is almost, almost as iconic as Tim Curry's from the original miniseries. And then we come to chapter two. Now, I am going to tell you now that I was in for the first scene, even though a lot of critics were out from the first scene. So let me just tell you the first scene. It's not a spoiler and I'm not going to go into spoilers. But the first scene involves a horrific homophobic attack which takes place in Derry. 26 years after the original original film took place and it's hard to watch and it's brutal and it's nasty and it sets up the film in a certain way that you think this is a different level you think that this is going to be you know darker and more malevolent than the first movie and a lot of critics have actually pushed against this very first movie, um, very first scene in the film because they don't feel that it was necessary. Um, I can see why they did it. I can understand the thought process behind it. Is it difficult to watch? Of course it is. Of course it is. And that's the point. Okay. Later on in the film, they bite the faces of children. Yet this is the one scene that people have a bone of contention about. Um, And for me, people are up in arms against it. But attacks and things like this are happening all the time, all over the world. And it highlights that. And it just shows that in Derry, evil exists. And evil is representing itself in a way of minorities being brutalised. And I think it works. And I think it's necessary But that's where um, I have the problem, because from this dark, brutal first scene, the film, for me, becomes quite light and not as threatening and not as scary and not as dark as I wanted it to be as the book. I know it's impossible to do a perfect perfect adaption of a book, especially a book that is 1,100 pages long, but... It seemed to me that the comedic elements um, that the director brought into the film completely overshadowed the horror that I wanted. So let me give an example. It pretty much after every scary thing happens, there was almost like a joke made about the the scary thing that happened to try and diffuse the situation but the thing is I don't want the situation diffused I want it to be scary I want to come away from that scene feeling rattled and feeling disturbed I don't want to give a little laugh of light relief just because I like visually seen something disturbing that's not what a horror movie is to me I want to see the horrors that Pennywise inflicts and therefore the ending of the movie will have more impact because you'll be so on the side of the losers club because you've seen such darkness that that would work unfortunately that's not what happens it is it undermines itself all the time by cheap laughs that don't always land I think a lot of people have praised Bill Hader's performance as Richie in the film I found him deeply irritating like to the fact that to the 
to the point where every time he came on the screen, I was like, oh, God, really? Do we have to stick with this guy for a while? Can't we go somewhere else? I found him deeply irritating. And the fact that that character has a secret that I should personally, you know, warm towards... I didn't want to hoard his towards his character at all. In fact, I just wanted him to go away. Jessica Chastain didn't didn't have the levity for Beverly Marsh that I wanted. I actually prefer the woman who plays Beverly in the T in the miniseries, which is saying something because nine times out of ten she's god awful. But I felt like I just I just felt like they didn't have the weight and the the character that their younger selves did. In fact, I would have loved to have seen the whole film just with the younger cast. It would have been much better. Um, James McAvoy, I'm sorry to say, phoned it in. Like, literally, there are some scenes that I watched where I couldn't tell whether I was watching it or Split. It's like what I did there. Um, it was almost like he was just phoning in this performance and... Even though in in interview interviews that I've heard from him, he's said that he's very excited to be part of the franchise. You know, you might want to tell your face, um, James, because you look bored and you look like you were just phoning it in. Now, are there some really good moments in the film? Yes, the set pieces are incredible. There are some really, really nice set pieces. And um, I thought that there was one particular set piece which is set in a hall of mirrors that worked really well. I think Bill Strasgar's Pennywise is is criminally underused. There are some scenes where I just wanted to focus on him, which I think, you know, like we spoke about in movie news, there's a possibility of, um, you know, a film that focuses, focuses on just Pennywise. And which is focusing, I suppose, on the origin story, which I would love to hit see because I just think that um, Pennywise and Bill Strasgars are, like I said, criminally underused in this film. And I was desperate to see more of him. And unfortunately, we didn't, um, even though he's quite prominent on the poster, which I think the poster is also like a work of genius. You know, it ends. I think it's great. Um Yes, where was I? I just was very, very let down by it. It just seemed to me to be very episodic. Um, this happens, then we talk for a little while. Then this happens, and then we talk for a bit more. And then this happens. So it was just very much like that. The conclusion of the film was confusing, was sort of come out of nowhere, was quite um, abrasive. There's a character moment at the end of the film that should have you in tears. It had me looking at my watch. Yeah, I'm very, very, very disappointed by this movie. So um, I don't think now we will ever get a definitive version of it on film uh, that we have in the book. And I'm resigned to that. So if I were you, instead of going to watch It Chapter 2, which is nearly three hours long... I would go and read it, the novel from Stephen King, which will probably take you maybe 30 hours to read, but it's definitely, definitely worth it. Um, so I'm giving it chapter two, six out of ten, which before I walked into the cinema, I was hoping I was going to give it a lot more than that. But unfortunately, eh -eh. so beep, beep, Richie, beep, beep. So you've just heard what I thought about it. I have a letter from a listener about the film. Let's have a look. Dear Keith, I've just returned home from a double bill of It, Chapter 1 and 2 at the IMAX. I have to say I was a little disappointed. It, was, it wasn't scary. It wasn't funny. And it was too long. Massively disappointed. The only thing I liked was the odd cameo from the Kingster himself. Yes, well, you have to look out for that. It's it's over. Thank God. And that's from Chloe in Leighton Buzzard. Thank you, Chloe. Yes, I think the overall uh, consensus on It Chapter 2 is that it could have been a lot better. But hey-ho, like I said, go and find the book, read it. You will not be disappointed by that. It's time.
time for the small screen. Now, the small screen is where we talk about those little movies that appear on the little boxes in our houses called televisions. So um, we're going to talk about a series that was released on Netflix last week. Uh, the Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. Now, you might think, how does this fit in to the Fright Fest episode, Keith? Well, let me tell you that when I saw the original Dark Crystal as a child, it gave me nightmares. The Skeksis are the scariest things I've ever seen on film. So that's how it fits in. Thank you very much for asking. Yes, The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance is a prequel to the original movie. Now, I have seen the first three episodes and I have to say, I absolutely love it. Now, you know, guys, that I love practical effects and you can't get more practical than the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance because it's all puppetry and it looks fantastic. The, the design of the series is incredible. It's all been done by the Jim Henson Workshop, who did the original movie, the characters, the uh, the world building that it creates is just absolutely incredible. And I'm totally in love with it. I could watch it all day, every day. I hope that Netflix do a new series. I literally, on my schedule tonight, it just says, watch Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And I cannot wait to do that. Um, it's scary. It's clever. The storytelling is beautiful. It's bringing a concept and an old idea of you know the dark crystal and the use of puppets and practical effects it's bringing it to a whole new audience and I'm so excited that someone like my nephew's age for example will have a new chapter to the dark crystal story to go back to and watch over and over again like I did with the original movie as a kid um, it's incredible I cannot recommend it enough. If you haven't seen it, get out there and watch it. If you are a fan of the original movie, or even if you're a fan of Labyrinth, uh, which was the other movie the Jim Henson Workshop did, then you are going to find this an absolute treat. It's incredible. Now, run along, my little girlflings, and watch The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, available now on Netflix. <laughs> Welcome to Film Found. For a pound, we've had so many in this week. Um, all going from... Oh, people are actually finding a lot of TV shows now for a pound, which is interesting. Um, but we're going to focus on mostly films. We've had quite a few black swans in, which is good. You know, a bit of Darren Aronamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanamanam
creates good narrative, good story, good characters, amazing, amazing performances. My lovely sweetheart, love of my life, Elizabeth Moss is in this film. Um, she is the only woman that I would marry and give my life up for. So if any of you know her, um, please let her know that I am madly in love with her. Um, and it's got a stunning, stunning conclusion and I love us and it's one of those one of the only films that I have seen where when you watch it a second time the the narrative and the motivations of the characters completely change and that's what I love about it is that it demands repeat viewing and only a few films really do that um but us really really screams at you watch me again you'll get something out of it every time you see me so yes us is the film found for a pound this week and i'm so jealous because i've yet to buy it on blu-ray or dvd because it's still too expensive so whoever found it out there for a pound you are so lucky <laughs> Welcome back to True Crime here on the True Crime channel. This time we're going to be talking to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre killer, Leatherface. Leatherface, thank you very much for joining me here in the studio. Tell me, why do you kill people with a chainsaw? That's all we have time for on True Crime this week. Join me next week on True Crime. Thank you, be safe, and don't have frightmares. So I did promise you that we would have one element of this podcast that wasn't horror-related. So luckily... Um, a lovely chap called Nicholas has contacted us with his film he loves most. Um, so let's pass it over to Nicholas. The film I love most is, I'd say in recent years, Call Me By Your Name, the 2017 film by Luca Guadagnino, has actually impressed me the most. Um, I was profoundly moved by the love story portrayed in that film uh, by the two main actors, Timothy Chalamet and Armie Hammer. Um, even though I'm a straight man, uh, it connected with me on a deeper level. I love the music, love the cinematography, uh, the direction was amazing. And just the overall film uh, has a dear, dear place in my um, film uh, library. So yeah, Call Me By Your Name 2017. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Now, we have spoken about Call Me By Your Name on this podcast before, a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking to Mr Heathcote about LGBT movies and his contribution to them. I think that uh, Call Me By Your Name is a great film. and But for me, any film that has a positive LGBT representation is a good movie and I think it's beautiful I think it's stylized I think the setting is incredible I think the the period setting is expertly done and I think the music's lovely um is it a you know is the relationship realistic not a hundred percent it's a bit of an odd element I mean Army Hammer's character you know to me just seems to be a little arrogant, a little sort of overplayed slightly, but the style of it is incredible. And Timothy Chalamet is incredible in that film. And the closing credits, I've never seen closing credits like that before. And I cried. I did. I cried for at least 20 minutes after the film ended. So Call Me By Your Name is is. A masterpiece to some. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Welcome back. 
to this final edition of True Crime here on the True Crime channel. This week, we're going to be talking to Jason Voorhees, the Crystal Lake Killer. Hello, thank you very much, Jason, for joining us here in the studio. Please tell me, why do you kill people with a machete? That's all we have time for on the True Crime Special this week. Join us next week when we will be talking to Freddy Krueger in our dreams. Don't have frightmares. God, you're so like draining me of my energy right now. So that is all I have for you. That is all the time I can give you today. But thank you so much for joining me for this Fright First special. Um, it was incredible for you to be here. And <laughs> and um, yeah, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for the films I love most podcast you are an integral part of this podcast without you I am nothing I am literally sitting in a dungeon just talking to myself so please please get involved we have over 3,000 subscribers now now you're probably like 3,000 oh my god that's nothing but to me it's massive it means that 3,000 of you are sitting listening to my opinion and my contribution to the world of film and my aim is just to get you out there and take you out of your comfort zones and maybe watch something that you might not have normally have seen and also to contribute that one pound to charity every week go out buy that film for a pound contribute to charity and make other people's lives better that is what I do this for and I can't do it without you so please please join me next time when I will be reviewing The Souvenir and Rojo and Bait, which I have to say is one of my favourite films of the year so far. So that's all from me and I wish you many happy returns. Sleep well, don't have nightmares. No, have nightmares. They're more fun. Bye. <laughs> Welcome back to True Crime on the Crew Crime Channel. Channel blah.